Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic University podcast. Normally we do Marvel stuff, but we're not doing Marvel stuff today. You know, in light of everything that's happened around the country, um, it, it just kind of popped up, but um, we felt that it was necessary to just have a discussion um, about a lot of things that are on our minds, especially what's happening in you know, the black community. Obviously, the George Floyd murder has been a huge part of the of the uh, focus uh, of the nation in the past week and um, everything that's subsequently happened after that. And the response is obviously politically um, from the president and everything that's going on with that has been an issue. So we'll, we'll talk about a little bit of all of those things and just try and make some sense of uh, feelings and emotions and everything. So obviously I'm Anthony Canton the third. I'm here with my my partners, uh, super producer Jake Christie. Jake, how are you? Um, you know, doing okay. Um, you know, I, I appreciate you texting because I think that uh, even if we didn't record it, I think that you know we want we've been texting about this stuff. Um, yeah. So it's nice to be able to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jerome Chang, uh, Black Dragon Roll. Jerome, how are you? Um, I'm I'm doing okay. Uh, I feel bad for all the listeners who don't get to see your mustache right now because. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is no matter what we go through and i'm sure we'll talk about some really good stuff but uh this this will probably be my highlight just getting to see your honestly getting to see all your faces right now because uh I, I think that's kind of the thing that we could use right now and getting to hear that in the background too. <laughs> yeah yeah uh my son might make an appearance uh decides in the background uh, i like doing that. what he doing what he does and of course uh the broham is in the building Raphael Canton, how are you, sir? I'm doing okay. You know, I mean, it's been tough this past week just seeing everything, but yeah, I'm doing good. Okay. Yeah. So I kind of just wanted to start off with this uh, uh, generally. So obviously, Ralph and I, we moved to uh, Little Neck, New York. I was. I think 11 turning or 12 or 12 turning 13. I can't remember. It was 98. 98. Uh, it was Halloween 98. Of, yeah. Halloween of 98. So uh, what you call it. And uh, how old were you? What were you like eight? Yeah. I'm four years younger than you. So um, yeah. Uh, 98. Yeah. October, it was Halloween. Yeah. Halloween of 98. It was around that time. Yeah. Right. So, so we moved there and it's a, it's a predominantly white neighborhood. Uh, so what you call it. Uh, so I, when I think about like a lot of the, the talk about racism and the talk about uh, stuff like that, I think about just, you know, the smallest things. And it's not one of those things where I felt like I experienced the, the heavy racism that, you know, our dad did um, in the 60s uh, growing up then. But you know, it's the smallest things. It's the, it's like, you remember every time we would go to church, the, the eyes, <laughs> you could feel yeah. the eyes without even looking, you know, it, it was stuff like that. Um, even some of my, some of my friends who Ralph, you know, they, they, you know, you know them pretty well. Like what you call it, that, that from the time that we moved there, I became friends with them. You know, there was all, you know, there was always kind of this, how do you say, code switching that you had to do. And, um, and there was always this kind of like, I guess not, not necessarily meeting of the minds per se, but 
you kind of have to adjust a little bit according to that scenario. And I think I think back to many many a conversation that that I've actually had with them about these particular subjects, and I just always remember them going into uh, what about isms and uh, and things like that, and just a weird kind of like explanations and stuff like that. And, and these are things that you ignore when you're younger, but as you grow. And obviously, as you see what happens outside and you see what happens in real life, it tends to hit you a little bit differently. And then you realize, you know, your differences are a lot bigger than, you know, what you call it, than just something uh, uh, of color. And I think the thing that, you know, a lot of people have talked about is uh, sometimes silence. Sometimes silence is louder than anything that you could get from anybody in terms of speaking. And that's kind of what I heard. And that part hurts. But I think it's important to take that information and and go forward and realize that there are people who reached out. There are people who have talked, like you guys. And... um you know, it's important to recognize those things. So now, Ralph, I don't know if you've had the same experiences I've had, but uh, is there anything like that that's been going on with you uh, in, in particular? Or or what you call it? How have you experienced all of this? Um, well, I, I, I mean, I definitely think back to a lot of the times that, you know, like we had growing up. I think you know, back to some of my college experiences going to like a, you know, a, a state school in Massachusetts. Like, you know, I went to UMass Amherst and it was pretty, like pretty much it was like all white people. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was, it, it, you think back to some of those really, I guess you say bad experiences, negative experiences that had to do with race. And, you know, you're like, Especially, I think, when you, you look at who, like, you know, your white friends or people on, you know, social media that, you know, like, I, you know, I'm an Instagram friends with a lot of people, went to college with a lot of the people. There have been a lot of people, I will say, that have, you know, stood up and, you know, like, fought the good fight. Like, I have one friend who's a lawyer in Colorado, and she's been promoting a lot of stuff about, like, uh, you know, bail for protesters and whatever so it's like you know there are definitely people who like i see who like i'm glad I'm, I'm friends with and like you know uh white people who do understand some of that stuff that you know that that they don't see that they don't see or don't experience uh from you know like from our our perspective so it's it's definitely something that you look back on you feel the pain of it you know i've had experiences um, that, like, I still look back on, like, I've told you the story <laughs> about, about almost getting, uh, arrested, I, I guess, uh, yeah. I was in college over something that had to do with, I don't know, I, I'm, like, a little awkward about, like, talking about it, but just sort of the experience of, of being in that experience with, uh, my white college roommate and sort of, he, it, it, what I always remember was the cops stopping us and um, 
he was just like talking to the cops like mad disrespectful and like like you know like telling them like you have no right and all this stuff and i'm just like yo shut up and like you know like my experience is different because i'm like i don't like hey i'm, I'm like scared obviously because like my parents like i don't want to get in trouble but i think also just the bigger thing is that you don't want the situation to escalate which is very easy in a lot mm -hmm. of those situations when you look back on and just even over really minuscule type of things those uh situations can really escalate and get a lot worse so it's like for me i'm like i i spent a lot of time this past week like rethinking certain moments uh and yeah it's just a lot it's a lot to process it's a lot to think about but i guess you can only think about right now like you know the positive the people that have stood together the people who have been very supportive um and understanding so that's what i think about yeah um before i throw it to uh, you guys jake and jerome i just do want to say another thing is like regarding that kind of that the pain because you think about the particular trauma that i discussed earlier but then you think about when you see stuff like this happen to people you think about who you're raising like mm -hmm. obviously i just became a father last year and mm -hmm. you worry about like multiple things like one listen at the end of the day i'll do what i have to do in terms of telling my son uh what he has to do and you know hope for the best but the fact that I have to is the stuff that I think about. The fact that I got to worry that even though I may say everything that needs to be done correctly, everything that's perfect in terms of how you handle a situation, it may not matter. It may not matter. And that's the thing. Like, I don't only think of my son. I think of my, uh, what you got, our niece and our nephew, Ralph, uh, Mason and Izzy, their future. Um these things, you know, and that's what people talk about, like, just, it's a generational thing. Like, it, it's not just us. It's before us, it's after us, and it continues. So, it's just like one of those things where you wonder, is this ever going to end? Like, it just doesn't mm -hmm. feel like it is. And I think that's just the frustrating aspect of thing. And I think that's why you kind of realize, like, there's a part of me that's just really angry. And I've had to hold it because I got to keep it together because I'm not only mm -hmm. feeling this anger, mm -hmm. I'm fighting the disease outside. Mm -hmm. So, like, it's just like it feels like one thing on top of another. And sometimes these things aren't necessary in order for enough people to be like people who have raised up and people who have been out there marching, and protesting, and uh, sending in information and places to donate or Ralph, you mentioned all of the the bailing funds there's a lot of great places mm -hmm. to donate to uh we'll try to list them later mm -hmm. uh at some point but yeah there's just so many there are positives that can be taken out of it but admittedly mm -hmm. it's frustrating to feel like there's still a, a a large amount of people who just don't get it and probably never mm -hmm. will and yeah. I think that uh, that aspect, that lack of understanding, is it, it's admittedly frustrating and in a lot of ways depressing. So, yeah. uh, so, so with that, I'll go to you first, Jake. Um, you know, how, how have you experienced like seeing this, and what it's, are your thoughts on yeah. it? 
It's kind of ironic because I just got because uh, my lease in my apartment in Jersey City, New York, uh, Jersey, New York, Jersey City, New Jersey just came up. So and because it's, you know, coronavirus, I wasn't about to look for another apartment in uh, New York and I've been able to work remotely. So I came back home to Florida where my family's from, where I'm from. Um, and it is definitely weird to, to be in a very suburban closed off area witnessing it because it feels like it's a completely different world. And so because of where I am, I've been thinking a lot about that specific thing about why people don't get it. Um, because I, what, whatever it was that I, obviously I don't get it, but on some, wherever I was where I came to understand all the things that the Black Lives Matter movement stands for and all the institutional race and all that stuff, I since then have really spent a lot of time thinking about why it is that so many other white people who I know are good in understanding other parts of their lives, why they can't get this. Because not, and I wish that wasn't necessary, but I mentioned in our text thread that I, when I took an African-American history course in college, my uh, professor made a point of saying that like black people in civil rights movements, they never like achieve, they never quote unquote earn something. They always deserved it. White people just decide to give it to them. And so unfortunately, any change that can happen in this area requires a certain amount of white people to decide to do the right thing. And why that doesn't happen is something that I think about all the time because it's like, how do I affect this? I like to think that the way I can affect it is by helping other white people understand that that's, that's what I think I could do best. And so I think about it a lot. And I think that a lot of it, I think there's two big things that people don't consider that much is that like, Raph, when you were talking about your encounter with the police officer at UMass, you were talking about like, you know, how you knew what not to do because of experiences and yada, yada, yada. I don't think that people realize, particularly black people don't realize, I think black people realize that white people don't like have the same experience with cops, but white people just don't interact with cops, period. Like in my entire life, the only conversation I ever had with a police officer was when I got, was the school police officer when I got something stolen in ninth grade. Other than that, I've never had a conversation with a police officer. It just, it just doesn't happen. It's not even a question of like, we just have nice interactions with police officers. The, the notion of a police officer being ever present in your life is just something that doesn't happen to white communities. And so I think when people say, like, even if people are like, yeah, I guess police are too brutal or whatever. If you're a white person, you're like, okay, but I've interacted with the police officer like three times. So how bad could it possibly be? Because if they're too brutal occasionally and they only interact with them a couple of times. Yeah. Um, like, I think people just don't realize that, like, in this country, in black neighborhoods, police, like, they actively police it, quote unquote. They use police as a verb. Like, they are an active trying to, you know, stop people all these things. And I think that that's something that white people just simply don't have an understanding of. And I think the other thing too, is that I think I noticed with so many issues, particularly with um, my parents' generation, um, because I'm slightly younger than you guys, I think my parents are generation below your parents, but I think that there's these, and I think there's parents, white people's parents in your generation are similar, that there's a feeling that like, if you ever say X is this bad, the instant reaction is, no, it can't be that bad. Be almost like if, if it was that bad, then I would know and I'd care about it. And I'm a good person. So since I'm not already aware of it, it can't be that bad. You have to be exaggerating. There's no way it could actually be as bad as people are saying it is. Because if it was, then then that that destroys my worldview. Because I think that, like, obviously there are plenty of white people who want to uphold these structures subconsciously because they this and that. But I think ones that, like, say that they're on the side of justice and all like that, they can't comprehend how bad the problem actually is. Because to do that would be to face the fact that so many of the things you believe about yourself in America are lies. And I think that it, the, th the thing I always think about when I hear someone like push back on 
statistics about police brutality or like experiences police brutality is like, I just don't know why you're so comfortable saying that, you know, 12% of the population is lying about something that they don't gain anything from. Black people don't gain anything from telling white people that police brutality is bad. You think they do, like, you think that, uh, like, Colin Kaepernick doesn't have a job. Like, it's just, I just, it's a, I think of it in that terms all the time. Like, you just are saying over and over again that they people are lying. And because you never will find, you know, every black person in eyes will be like, yeah, the police are bad to me. Like, and, and you'll never find a white person who says that unless, like, they're like a moonshine runner who inherits police every day. Like, yeah. And so I've been really trying to find ways to, you know, affect change in that way. And, like, I've been talking to my parents and trying to, find ways that like I can put it in because the argument that's going to work on me is not the argument that's going to work on them. Um, and uh, yeah, but a, th- a positive thing before I toss it over Jerome is that I can tell you once again, as someone who's slightly younger than you guys, I can tell you that this issue is I am, I'm from semi like suburban, but like not like rich suburban Florida. My Facebook timeline of high school friends is almost unanimous in support of the protests in a way that I'm shocked to see, in a way that it wasn't before. And I don't know what the change is going to be. I don't know what the actual actions are going to be. But in terms of opinion, particularly among young people, this is a turning point. I really believe that because it's people who are like the would never even consider them like a liberal person, like mm-hmm. are fully like this is murder. You need to do this like posting things like hey. You know, parents, I know that you feel this way, like really doing a lot of the work. And I think that that makes me happy because if, because in the same way that a lot of civil rights things in the 60s were a generational thing, where it was like kind of like the younger generation that going into power, they grew up thinking all this stuff was bad. I think that that's really hopeful um, because like I said, I've seen like one or two people say something negative and everyone else, like not my liberal NYU friends, but like, you know. Mm-hmm. Want to go to Florida? Went to community college, posting things about like how you understand your privilege and stuff like that. And it's like, I think that that is, it's it's what's ironically enough for the first time in my life when Twitter makes me upset, I go to Facebook and I see that stuff, and it's like, you know what? I do, I clearly these protests are working because these people weren't here before and they're here now, and that's all you can ask for, really. You know, is that we get people on our side. Yeah, I think I think that's um that's hopeful and i think you know at times like these you need hope to mm-hmm. you know at least begin to turn the wheel well, uh, well they're hoping know, that hope. you don't have hope that's the whole thing i mean unfortunately like that's the part of the the strategy of all this is in not just race stuff but in all these you know oppressive things are they want you not to have hope yeah, and so be- that's why yeah, i keep trying be- to literally beat the hope out of you yeah yeah exactly yeah. So, I, I, Jerome, I, I know you've been you've been very outspoken um, in terms of just talking about uh, ways uh, advocacy helping out people. Um, how have you experienced this whole thing? Um, I. It's just. Um, hmm. I think uh, the last week has been kind of uh, like just continually being my own eye opener about things mm-hmm. i think there's i don't think anyone on this call um and definitely like more referring to jake and i in this case like ever felt or stood on anything that we would consider the wrong side of this but i think it just came to that point of really understanding what else like mm-hmm. i can be doing and yeah um and like it helped like getting resources it helped researching online um 
But I think what actually like just helped the most was just this. It wasn't like that. It was work, but just the years that I have spent like being on Twitter and connecting with people online, um, and connecting with people like yourself, selves, um, that like just like put a face onto things because I think similarly uh, to you guys explaining your experience of moving into a mostly white neighborhood um, or living in a suburb, like I did the same. And when you hear conversations about, you know, have a conversation with a black person and understand what their experience is like without something like social media, I can't walk anywhere around me to find a black person. I, Mm -hmm. And if I go to my office, I might, which obviously we can't do right now, but like there are only a handful and I don't think it should be on the, uh, like the small group to like suddenly like be like, here, let's be this monolith resource for everyone to understand what we're going through. So it really comes upon yourself to understand it. And, uh, I remember saying early on that before even getting to that, it was really starting with looking at what I grew up around. Um, I think I've been very fortunate of having, like my parents, uh, in the opposite way, like they had me at an older age. So um, on top of uh, me being older than Jake, like we're we're talking like generations apart at this point because like my parents are old enough that uh, typically for someone my age, like they might be like grandparents for people. And (laughs) with that, like really has a chance of some real hard prejudice or discrimination or just like very dated thoughts. But thankfully, even if they grew up around it, um, they seem to have at least spent enough time in Canada to just not see things that way. I think there's some things that stick with them, but most importantly, none of it seemed to have carried over to me. But that still isn't enough because, you know, I grew up of Chinese descent and I grew up around Chinese people and um, maybe some of our listeners have heard or read the same, but like, Asian culture, especially East Asian culture, like has its own uh, systemic racism where like you don't even have to look past our own people to know the different feelings when it comes to um, different types of Asians, when it comes to different sh- um, different skin tones. And that's not even getting to thinking about a black person. And mm-hmm. um, those are things you grow up around. And those are things that uh, thankfully have not really affected me in any way that I think I ever thought anything negative. I think I was aware of it, but you had to always acknowledge it and realize like, eh, it's kind of, it's fucked up. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, so like, I think it starts with that and then it starts with figuring out what to do, um, whether it's through, uh, joining a protest or whether it's through sharing information, whether it's through, through uplifting, whether it's through donating, um, I think the interesting thing about seeing this period as just like an observer is seeing the wide spectrum of allyship. Um, mm-hmm. I think yeah. we're kind of going through a period of people trying a lot of things, people being afraid to do a lot of things, people questioning how people are doing things, people not knowing exactly everything um, that everyone does. And um, it becomes such a because there's so much information becomes such a convoluted space that you don't know if you're doing the right thing. But I think that's why you always take the accountability and responsibility to find out for yourself, like what you can be doing and what you, and like what means you have to be able to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. And then honestly, the last part, uh, like 
this is all about Black Lives Matter, but the other phrase that I think really hit me and I never thought of um, until this point was Black Mental Health Matters. And mm-hmm. and that was just checking in on people. That was having conversations. Um, that was having conversations in ways where you don't say a thing and you just let your friends talk to you about anything. And I think that's why we wanted this conversation today because honestly... Uh, I don't mind spending an hour dragging Hugh Jackman, but we are not here to do that. <laughs> we're here to, we're here you can take my seconds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, oh man. But yeah, I think, and I, I think that's what it is. Like, uh, it's a stressful time. It's a tiring time. I think work is a slog these days. You're mentally exhausted from just seeing everything that's going on around you. But I think. It is important to see if you can make that time for people who really could use it. Um, it like a little goes a long way. Yeah, yeah, I, and that's a great point that you made. And and I think about, like I said before, about the about the silence and not hearing from people who, in a lot of ways, what's funny is you had gotten to the point where you expect not to hear from those people, but still, even in a time like this, you, what you call it, there's still that, that part of you that hopes that, oh, okay, maybe, maybe this will be the time. But then you remember of conversations that you had when you were younger, that these were the positions that these people had anyway. And, um, you know, they kind of fell on deaf ears when you tried to talk to them about it. So you kind of, kind of, kind of got to move forward. But in the sense of, in the sense of what you said about about uh, black mental health and I think just the general uh, trauma and I think the weight of walking around uh, realizing that you know so at some point you know you 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 ask yourself twenty or thirty different questions before you either enter a certain area or even stuff that I do like. If I'm going to work and I'm driving, um, mm-hmm. make sure I got my license and my registration and my insurance and, and stuff like that. Make sure all of those things are there. Make sure I have my ID, all that, you know, all, all that all that simple stuff that, yeah, you think about. But if I get stopped by somebody, it could be a thing. And, yeah. you know, that's it. And, and that's what, you know, that, that's those things I think about all the time. And especially I think about it more. As a, as a father. So, like, when the George Floyd thing happened, um, it was just the scenario of... It's not just the fact that I have to tell my son about this. It's I have to think about me not being around to tell him this. And that mm-hmm. is the stuff that... That's what hit me about that more than anything else. And it, 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 that part of it changes things um, it, at another level. So, yeah, that... <laughs> The, the the trauma the heavy aspect of that and um you know in in a lot of ways sometimes having to ignore it while you're out during the day so mm-hmm. you can just do what you have to do and get your get your job done um mm-hmm. it's enough that covid-19 has you know wreaked havoc on the country and the world mm-hmm. but this you know this it's a whole nother level and i think just the just that section of the people in power just showing that they don't care about it, period. Mm-hmm. And in fact, are looking to inflict more damage. Um, you know, that's why it, it, it's worrisome. And 
mm-hmm. you know, like you said, Jerome, it's important that that everybody try and talk to people. Um, I think something that uh, Buddy from Account the Dinks, uh, Trevon Edwards, is doing every Friday uh, with the Zoom call on uh, dealing with black trauma. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a cool thing. So if any, anybody wants to check that out um, on Twitter, just hit up Trey mm-hmm. and and uh, and he'll, he'll and when we up. tweet out this episode, I'll tweet out a link. Um, uh, acquaintance I went to school with. I don't know if I'd call her a friend because she's now you know famous and verified on Twitter. So I'd feel like I was stealing valor. But uh, this comedian I went to school with, uh, Io Debris, um, has been posting stuff about Black mental health uh, resources, and I'll send those over because um, you know they clearly are uh you know super valuable because i mean i sometimes i think about how bad my mental health is just watching this shit and it's like i keep be that and i'm just some you know white kid watching it and it's i can't imagine it. yeah um i i really think that it's important um for you to share stuff like that ac about talking to your son because i remember that 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 actually might have been when i was talking about when i realized what was right and wrong in this these issues i never was like on the wrong side of it like jerome said but i remember when Obama was talking about having to talk to his kids about that when Trayvon Martin got killed. That was when I, because I was still young enough to be a little closer to Trayvon Martin's age. And so my thought wasn't like, I can't imagine telling my son about it, but like I put myself in the shoes of like a six year old. Yeah. And like, I can't imagine how, you know, I want you to talk about this because I don't have the experience, but like, I can't imagine my parents talk, tell me that at six, even though you have to. Like, I can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah, because that's the thing, like, you want to protect your children the best that you can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, it's that it's that in, inner part of you that once you become that, um, if you're dedicated to it, that you will. But it's just knowing that you can't always. Like, mm-hmm. there's going to be a point where they'll be out there on their own and they have, yeah. to make, they have to make certain decisions. And even if they make all the right ones you know, things can go another way. It's almost, it almost feels like a flip of the coin in a sense. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think that it's, it's, it's something I also thought about too, when you mentioned that in a text message that like, I am, you know, at home, with my parents now, so she might be able to hear this, but my mother is one of the most like neurotic people in the world. I love mm-hmm. her to death, but she worried about everything. And the thing I thought about is like, I was going through in my mind, the silly things that she told me to worry about and never police. And that I think is the, I think that's another bit of why white people don't get it is because mm-hmm. it's not like white people are just told to worry about the police less. It's the exact opposite. It's like my parents were never, you know, I wasn't like grew up in a house where everyone was like friends with cops and how many uncle cops or whatever, but it's like, I, I, in the same six year old that you're being taught that you need to worry about interactions with police. When I was six, I was taught like every other white kid probably was if something's wrong go get a police officer and i think that that is just that the, the divide there is so great and it's on purpose obviously because the reason why police have to harm black bodies is because their mission is to protect white bodies you know so like that's i'm not it, that's a feature not a bug but i think that that's you know um something that i've tried to put myself in the shoes of both you and your son in the future um i think that that's something that is important for any white person to do um yeah yeah absolutely um and it's funny this issue has transcended like everything um obviously we saw today uh what drew Brees said um in an interview uh about the colin kaepernick's uh, scenario and uh, kneeling for the flag and the whole protecting the protecting the flag and 
and respecting the flag and all that stuff when it's been pretty clear that uh, it's not about the flag in this in, in this scenario. Can't believe we're still having this conversation. It's amazing. Yeah, and I was shocked by that. <laughs> the, the tone-deaf uh, statement from the NFL and a lot of tone-deaf statements from a lot of corporations mm-hmm. just, you know, trying to hide behind the, you know, hide behind the, just use systemic racism. And I love what Howard Bryant's been pointing out. Oh, you, yeah. you follow Howard Bryant, right? Yeah, he's been great. Where every time someone releases a statement where it doesn't mention the word police, he'll be like, oh, you could have put the word police in there. Uh, I think that that's really – I mean, that's really the thing. I think that yeah. – yeah, you just have the police in there. Yeah, I think um, I think uh, uh, Duray uh, McKesson, he's an activist. Um, I think mm-hmm. one of the things that he's talked about is uh, police reform. And mm-hmm. uh, and he's actually brought statistics and, and mm-hmm. things to the table at a camp paintzero.org they have a lot mm-hmm. they have a lot of information they have the uh, a program now called eight can't wait which is eight pieces of police reform that almost across the country can be unilaterally instituted by mayors um and they're things that will pr- reduce police violence by 72 percent i know because i listened to him say on a podcast earlier today <laughs> i'm not yes. rain man <laughs> their their, Insta- their instagram page actually like fully breaks it down too graphically so mm-hmm. like if you find that post you can swipe across and get all the information as to just the different uh the eight different parts of it yeah so ralph what what have you thought about a lot of the not just the corporate statements but just a lot of what um athletes have talked about and and people in entertainment kind of stepping all over themselves uh, in some instances, trying to be the first to get out there. Obviously, um, we saw what happened with T.I. and Killer Mike last week um, and what they what they uh, what they said, and how they kind of stepped in it a little bit. Yeah, I know. Wakanda. Um, <laughs> it's just like it's just like, well, what have, what, what, have, what have you made of of just the I, I, I'm not sure because because we talked about it in the MCU chat earlier in terms of. What's the in terms of not only PR but just people themselves just on mm-hmm. uh, on a whole different level in terms of what their thought process is? What have you made of it? Well, I think like you, you bringing up Killer Mike is interesting because I feel like he's always sort of had the similar talking points. So what he talked about when he in that press conference sort of didn't shock me, but I think you saw like you mentioned T.I. and there are a bunch of other Atlanta personalities or artists or whatever mm. people that that it that they all did sort of follow the same type of tenor in terms of, of how they were going to talk about it. I think just in general, from what what you're asking, I mean, I think from the corporate side, it's it's a definitely a problem, but they're just trying to avoid it with all of mm-hmm. this language to not offend anyone. And mm-hmm. that's sort of the problem. And I think that's sort of why people were so happy with, with Ben and Jerry's when yeah. mm-hmm. they made their statement is that, you know, they didn't avoid it. They weren't trying to avoid anything. This is our stance and this is how we, we feel. And this is just it is what it is. Like mm-hmm. that's sort of the part. And that is sort of the heart of what protesting is and what sort of what fighting for your rights is, is not being afraid to make other people uncomfortable and not being mm-hmm. afraid to to worry about you know stifling or getting or not stifling worrying about uh you know ruffling other people's feathers and mm-hmm. i think we've seen a lot of corporate speak in in sports specifically but also just all over sort of just mm-hmm. trying to d- dance around the topic but mm-hmm. making a statement to feel like they are at least like fighting the cause and not having to 
actually do anything. Yeah, I think it's very. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Keep oh, it's going. all good. No, no, you good. You good. I think it's fascinating, and I was listening to Mina Kimes talk about this on uh, How You Questionable yesterday. That the statements themselves suck a lot of times, but. And this is not just me trying to find civil lighting. I think that this is something I, pay, I try to think about a lot with politics because I always try to think about how we, you know, make radical changes. Because in order for radical changes to happen, you need to have a full consensus so it can't be radical anymore. But I think that it is interesting how it's not insignificant that all these companies feel like they have to make a statement about it. Because even though their statements mean nothing, I think that normally they would want to say nothing because they wouldn't even want to have to touch it at all. But clearly their calculus is that if they don't say anything, it'll be worse for the brand than if they say something and it offends a couple white people. And that was again, their statements aren't good, but I think that what that tells you is at least in the rooms where people are, you know, trying to come up with ways to make money, they acknowledge that the tide is turning in a way. And that's something I think is like a good barometer of you can tell what, is in like the center of a pu public opinion when you look at the corporate statements and like once again they're still crappy but like the fact of the matter is you know when you have every company under the sun condemning systemic racism uh, that feels a lot that feels very far from like four years ago and i think that that's yeah. not something to lose sight of is that th that now these are what the corny statements are and i'm glad i'd rather these be the corny statements than no yeah. statement at all honestly yeah it's progress and i guess that's sort of what what matters at the end of the day is that from you know, seven, eight years ago when, you know, Trayvon Martin was killed or when Mike Brown was killed, you didn't mm -hmm. get anything. You didn't get yeah. any statements. So I so I agree with you there that it's like it's you want some kind of progress, some at least acknowledgement. I think that also is important to acknowledge that, you know, people are hurt and people are hurting <laughs> and that they want people, you know, even though sometimes in America, sort of our focus on celebrity and, you know, yeah. the impact, but that stuff does matter. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you want people with platforms to say something that at least, you know, will resonate with people. Like a big, yeah. a big thing, I, uh, John Boyega, um, Chastin, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, right. uh, what, he, what he's done. And uh, he had an impassioned speech today. It's very, it's very emotional. Watch a tap the block if you haven't seen it. It's great. Yeah, it's wow. He's That's actually just, what um, I'm gonna watch tonight after this. Have you seen it? Have you seen it before? I've seen it before. I, I, I had it yeah, in my I've mind. I was just like, I want to see it again. That's <laughs> that's what I don't. Yes. Yeah, yeah. man. Um, I, I think uh, stuff like that is because it's it's real. It's genuine, mm -hmm. and it's what a lot of people uh, feel. But in a lot of ways. They either are not being heard or don't feel comfortable enough speaking up. So that it's that type of passion that you know it allows everybody to kind of feel more more comfortable in a sense and feel heartened that people are really you know really trying and and even while things hurt, they aren't beaten down enough where they can't come back and keep fighting. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think that's you know that's important to recognize that that people are still out there um, advocating for, for change um, mm -hmm. and, and doing the best that they can in those, uh, in those scenarios. Uh, I'm trying to think, uh, Jerome, you, I, I know one big topic of conversation last week was uh, our, our, our boy from Spider-Verse. Um, oh my God. Uh, stepping Shmeek? in it. Yeah. Shameek, um Rosa Parks. <laughs> that was crazy when i saw that i saw that trending i saw rosa park trending yeah. i'm like what and then i read it i'm like it's never right. good unless no. it's her birthday it's never good 
I mean, that was just that was one of those scenarios that was because just I couldn't believe I, that he stepped in it not only once but twice. I, that one's it's tough because I think um, I I can't speak specifically on his behalf, but like I think it the fact that he was doubling down with IG lives and stuff like kind of adds a little bit to it. But um, I I I think about that and I think about a large group of people who want to say something but don't know what to say. So they don't say anything. And um, and like, yeah, the, the thing I got to read more recently was just make that mistake, but mm-hmm. be open to accept criticism for the mistake you're making. Be open to understanding that you might be ignorant. You might not be educated on exactly what's going on, even if you have the right intention about it. And then like do the work to kind of figure out um, – Shamik decided his way to figure out what was going on was to go to IG Live. I don't know that that oh, no, I, I don't know. that's not the way to do it. <laughs> um, uh, but at least the spirit of figuring out how to talk through it and understand what's going on, I think there's something there. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. So on that front, yeah, definitely do that. But then. I think what we we were missing in that scenario was that he didn't seem to be receptive. He only wanted to talk through what he believed and not necessarily listen to what other people were trying to tell him. So uh, I think I think what happens when a lot of people are on the right side, it, they can be defensive, you know, because uh, they might. And this is like kind of where you hold people in check, but you also hope that people who are held in check um are able to kind of like have humility about it and accept it because um whether it's something that they're saying that is uh not exactly right or whether it's even just like tones that they're taking or talking about things because uh depending on the groups that you're in obviously there are people who are not as affected by this and it's not because they don't care it's because it's not their direct community like it's just it's almost impossible to so they might have a lighter way about going about things um these days where they can uh they can like you know still kind of get through things without with like minimal struggle but um that's where that phrase comes read the room yeah you know yeah yeah and i think what the problem there is uh, sometimes people don't and even if they mean well uh they may just kind of be off-putting and i think they just need to accept then when they are yeah, yeah. like certainly like you jackman did today with the yeah <laughs> yeah that was uh that was another one that was you just, know, like uh... jenner i mean excuse me kendall jenner oh, right Pepsi. <laughs> now, can I ask you a question that is slightly lighter in tone? It's something we've been discussing before. It's not any questions, it's actually just a thought. Because we I was talking earlier in the group chat yeah. about something I love whenever these, um, whenever any sort of liberal or left progressive yada yada issue comes up, when you, Twitter gives you the opportunity to see who the most surprising person to take the right take is going to be. And for a while, it was what's his face, JR. What's his name? Uh, the uh, Jurassic Jim announcer? Ross. Jim, Jim Ross, Ross yeah. 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 He was I'm the so most. I'm still personally. He well, okay. Randy Orton said Black Lives Matter. That was shocking. Then yeah. uh, Jim Ross said it. But ironically, off the top rope is not another wrestler. But I think, without a doubt, the guy to get there because he started off not there, but he talked to some. You know, he had conversations. I don't know if he said today. Dick Vitale, 
said Black Lives Matter on Twitter. Oh, I yeah, mean, I that is, if that's not the winner, not that, once again, I'm not trying to give him a prize or anything like that, right, but right. it is always one of those, wow, they got the TV. Wow. Which, which, but which, by the way, I I wonder if he said that because he kind of stepped in it a couple of days ago when he mm-hmm. said, um, we need Martin Luther King back. Yeah. And right, right. everybody was like, that. yeah, they kind of got him up out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, you was like, and he was alive for that. I mean, that's, that's where you don't, you don't want cancel culture to go all the way. If a person can come out of it, actually better sure. understanding yeah. it. Right. And, uh, one hopes something like what happened today actually means a step in the right direction and not just a reaction to, uh, just be like, I'm good now. Like, I'm cool. I won't say anything bad. I will just like pass this out, you know? So. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll even say this. I thought Bill Simmons was genuine in his, in his realizing that he, he, he screwed things up, uh, with the, with the podcast. I listened to that one. I didn't listen to the Rosilla one. Cause I, I didn't need did, to listen to the Rosilla no, one. I saw the episode dis- description that said, Nope, yeah. I'm not doing it. And then I saw yeah. the, I saw the recaps and all the quotes and I was just like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, that sounds like a, about what he would say about those mm-hmm. things. So, um, yeah. um could I add a thing just about like just in terms of like all the things we've been seeing on social media and just yeah. the different uh, sure. corporate messages and uh, celebrities and everything? Um, I think it's good to see uh, what's going on. Um, and I'm only speaking about this from personal experience, but I m- many times throughout this, I've hit points where I am overwhelmed with a lot of this information. Yeah. Um, Agreed. And also, I find myself sharing for these larger like causes and solving like the bigger problems. That for moments, I forget why we even got here in the first place. I forget the victims. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I think, I think there is something that needs to be done where, uh, like for all of us, where yes, stay informed. Um, but I think. At a time like this where everyone's sharing and everyone's giving so much information, like we got to figure out ways to kind of focus too and get the right stuff out there. And also know when um, we've all gone through our allyship starter pack, that's where you take mm-hmm. the next steps. That's where um, you're probably not going to get – like it's going to be diminishing returns probably, for me at least, yeah. like what I'm going to find on social media. Like finding what the next – company or brand is saying about it is not going to change anything although i am personally very happy that uh i have the term virgil in my pocket now uh whenever (laughs) i need to describe 50 (laughs) but um but yeah like i think from there uh i was just talking to a friend about it and and i said like i gotta turn off instagram and twitter today like Mm -hmm. yeah i want to know the information but like Mm -hmm. how much am i really missing out on outside of maybe i'm an hour or two hours late to like an update in the case mm-hmm. yeah and so, um and so yeah and like for me it's just like i'll maybe now start looking into like actually reading something or watching a documentary and something that is probably more substantive and giving more context to what's going on than the repeated um posts about what someone's opinion is about it mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. I mean, just. Um. Just for me on that. Uh, for me on that front. Um. I think that's a. That's a really good point. And, you know, as far as things that you can do, it's funny. Like I. I'll talk about it vaguely because I actually am not allowed to talk about it. But just basically, um, 
who I work for is going through a scenario with um, uh, politically. So like there's a there's an issue there. So I would say in terms of this um, activism stuff, call your congressman, uh, congressman, mm-hmm. congresswomen, um, leaders in office, all those things. You city council call, people, city council mayors. People, I think those call, are the biggest ones. Call I mean. email. Um, I had uh, I had my cousin send me some uh, links today. You know, talking about uh, Breonna Taylor and mm-hmm. and trying to bring her her killers to justice and mm-hmm. uh, what you call it in terms of reaching out to congressmen and congresswomen and stuff like that. And if you don't mind, AC, since I feel like that case hasn't gotten that much press, can you just briefly um, mention what it is? Obviously, you don't have to go into details about that, but I think that that's something that people do get lost with Breonna Taylor because. It's easy. I mean, because I think that so many people are talking about um, George Floyd. Because um, yeah. I think hers is, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the Breonna Taylor scenario is just one where apparently the the cops rushed into a place that they thought that they had, they had a warrant for the wrong place. Um, they went in. And obviously, unfortunately, what what happened happened to an unsuspecting, uh, unsuspecting woman who had no priors and no issues. So mm-hmm. it's yeah. it's just another example of just like we can talk about Botham Jean uh, walking in, exactly. walking into his own apartment, seeing mm-hmm. a cop there, and you know that yeah. the, the, another death. We could go on for days. We can go mm-hmm. on for hours and talk about exactly. all of these things. And mm-hmm. Could I just add a, another thing that you could do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, go ahead. Because, um, yeah, I think, like, at the government level and municipal level, just, like, reaching out um, that way is great. But if you work in an <laughs> officer for a company and you see that your company isn't really taking any steps, whether it's, um, like, I don't even think about, like, public messaging, but just even the moment, because uh, I was stressing like mental health if you're mm-hmm. seeing that your company isn't it, like you don't and you maybe you don't know but if you don't feel like they are actively taking care of your colleagues and i will say in this case specifically your black colleagues i think it's mm-hmm. important that you just write a quick email to hr and just saying do we have things in place because uh, and do we are we taking action because i think what an HR department does really well is they offer resources and they offer help for when someone asks. But I've been just kind of sitting in this place of, I always feel that when someone's at their most vulnerable, it's almost too difficult for them to ask for things. And that's where I think we can either as colleagues or as management or as leaders or as an HR department or as a company as a whole kind of identify it and say, Mm -hmm. hey, maybe we can step in and offer you help. And it's up to the person, depending on where they're at, to decline or accept it. But I think that extra step is important to take, too. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think it, I think any way that you feel and, and a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with it, how comfortable you feel like. But there are ways that if you feel passionate about, you can really help out and uh, and try and make a difference, whether big or small. Um, those things. Uh, normally, we would close out a show uh, with who, uh, with uh, where we where we are to be followed at. But I think mm-hmm. uh, on this particular show, uh, we can close out with uh, a place that um, somebody could either donate to or 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 check out in terms of um, 
in terms of uh, contributing to the the current cause that's going on. So, uh, so Jake, how about you? So, um, I've been donating to a lot of the standard places, so I'll let you guys handle those because I would, especially the one that was like the fund that spreads them amongst all of them. But something that I would recommend um, for every white person is to um, don't just read like obviously it's important to read essays and newspapers from black writers about the black experience but i think so much of this is so tied up in history and i've been thinking a lot about how like if you i don't fully understand african-american history but i understand it enough where it's like if you have a good understanding of the history of black people in this country the quite you would never wonder why are they doing this you only would wonder why did it take so long is the thing and so I think that reading some history on the racial violence of this country, and particularly how it's related to the police, I think that Ida B. Wells has a lot of great writing. Um, I'm trying to think of other things I was assigned to read in uh, my African American history class that were really, but like that, I think her, I remember I got this book that was uh, like a collection of her essays that I think was probably the most insightful thing I read. So if you can get something like that, I think, because um, you just notice the parallels between now and then and how, how, it's it is not a individual bias thing it's that the way that police departments are set up in this country and have been is explicitly to suppress minority communities specifically black communities and i think that understanding that understanding the history helps you understand that the are the good cops or bad cops argument doesn't matter because it's the whole thing and so that's what i recommend anyone trying to understand it better is read um, history on that issue. All right, sounds, sounds good. Uh, Jerome, how about you? Um, in terms of uh, just like things you can reach out to, uh, just recent episodes of Hoops Adjacent. Um, yes. mm-hmm. I didn't get to hear the one that just came out now, but last yeah. week's with Marcus Thompson, David Aldridge, and Waz. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's just a really good start in terms of understanding what's going on, understanding the experience of it. And um, I think just all their different perspectives of like how they're dealing with it too is uh, really great. Um, this week's Blacks, Black Opinions Matter, um, yes. good friends at Count the Dings that had uh, the whole crew along with Jamel Hill. That was yeah. really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then outside of that, uh, I do want to shout out um, the Want Not Need Fund from our good mm-hmm. friend Nitz. Yeah. Um, yep. Their folks, So the general premise of the uh, foundation uh, that they put together is the notion that um, there's so many things that we like will buy in a day that we don't necessarily need to buy. And it's as simple as a coffee, um, a meal that you eat out for uh, that extra snack that you buy at the grocery store, or it could be something bigger like the uh, new Jordans, which... uh, Good for them. They're not actually releasing. They're holding off um, this weekend out of respect. <laughs> but uh, just knowing that at any like at any level of what your um, financial situation is, like there may be wiggle room. And the point of the fund is really just like if you can afford to donate any small or larger amount that you can, and they will kind of do the research to find a specific. Um, organizations and uh to support and send to and uh, right now their focus i believe is toward um funds that uh help communities with regard to police brutality so um yeah i think definitely look it up it's i believe altogether at want not need fund Mm -hmm. um all one word 
Um, or follow Nitz, our good friend Nitz, at Nitzblov, um, N-I-T-Z-B-L-U-V, and I'm sure she's been sharing a ton for it to our Canadian listeners. Uh, shout out Canada. Um, uh, they just opened up PayPal because uh, for um, this whole time, I actually haven't been able to donate at all to it because I don't have Venmo or Cash App. So they just opened up PayPal. So it's a good opportunity for you to uh, get in if you're able to. But um, yeah, and then the final thing is just uh, I think people can get very discouraged by feeling like they're not doing anything or not doing enough. Uh, I th- I could be wrong about this, but this is my interpretation of just being neutral or not doing anything is it's just a simple fact that like in any opportunity or situation, you just don't do anything. So some people are not active on social. Some people are not uh, comfortable or in a space that they're able to speak up. But like there's oh, put this way, racism, sadly, is not hard to find. So you can Mm -hmm. always do something about it. And Mm -hmm. um whether it's donate, whether it's educating yourself with the resources that uh, Jake mentioned or otherwise, like they're all different things. So I would say to those people who are kind of sitting on the fence about it, just don't be discouraged by any of um, what you're doing or whether you're going to be doing it wrong. Like you might be doing it wrong at first, but just keep trying. That's the whole point of this. Like that's how we get progress. Exactly. Exactly. And, 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 and thank you, Jake and Jerome, of course, for, for, for giving us that information. Uh, Ralph, how, how about you, sir? Okay, so I definitely would say the GoFundMe, the official George Floyd Memorial Fund. Obviously, this is where a lot of this, where we're at right now, already originated. He, he mm-hmm. lost his life over something really senseless, something that didn't need to happen at all, and just something that was really vile, just even thinking about that it happened. So for his family... Um, you know, they've definitely surpassed uh, their goal already. But still, I think with, you know, losing, you know, a brother, a uh, son, a father, um, you can't replace that in, in life. And so I think it's it would be great to do that. So it's a GoFundMe. It's called uh, Official George Floyd Memorial Fund. Go always uh, donate to Black Lives Matter. Um, it's uh, at actblue.com. Um, you know, and also look into just locally wherever you are, uh, specifically the, um, you know, for protesters, uh, like we have mentioned a few times, the, um, you know, bailout funds. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty much what, what I think about, um, just in general, this is where it all started. George Floyd, uh, getting back to that is, is such a you know person who lost his life for you know for no reason really and so that's something Mm -hmm. to to think about why we're doing this or why everybody you know is fighting for a change and for justice yeah Yeah, thank you for that and and to to piggyback off that point yeah that is the point that's why we're all mad because Mm -hmm. we not only saw this man get killed but we also saw them maim him before they did that and then mm-hmm. we saw them try to cover it up and then mm-hmm. try to tell us otherwise w- from things that we saw with our own eyes. Um, never forget that and, and never forget that's the reason why we fight because for whatever reason, racism, clearly, um, what you call it, they, people in this country in, in power 
just are consumed with that power and will do anything to lord that power over people that look like George Floyd or look like mm-hmm. my brother or look like me. Um, in terms of the, in terms of things that I would want people to take a look at, if you want to learn something about the black experience, um, Between the World and Me by ta Coates is a book that um, uh, was something that I enjoyed. Basically, it's an essay um, of him talking to his son about growing up in Baltimore and and dealing with the dealing with the black experience itself. Um, in terms of funds, the Brooklyn Bail Fund for all the protesters who have been out there and uh, obviously everybody in New York who's had to deal with what the NYPD has been doing, which has been uh, reprehensible to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously the Liberty Fund and uh, like Ralph said, obviously George, uh, George Floyd. And like I mentioned before, your congressmen, your congresswomen, city council, um, let them know. Let, let, and, let them know that they're not about this. I think I forgot to mention, too, which I think is important, is a lot of people, a lot of smarmy people will tell you, this, oh, don't be in the street, vote, yada, 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 which obviously, yes, vote. But a thing to keep in mind is um, this is racism and this police brutality is not a partisan issue. Um, it's not like it's equal, like, you know, obviously it's just that Democrats are also just as bad as Republicans are on it. But when you vote, I think... Uh, Especially if you're in a city, find you know someone in a if you're gonna vote in like a Democratic primary and vote for someone who's gonna be on city council and is gonna do the steps necessary to defund and to reform police departments because that's because ultimately in cities that's where it's really gonna happen because like what people one like you know Nancy Pelosi telling you just to vote she just wants you to vote for whatever Democrats on the ballot but if you want actual change you need to find people who are actual reformers actual and make sure that they're on the ballot you know in November. Um, and donate to their campaigns. There's a bunch in New York because New York still hasn't had the primary yet. Um, I think too often um, Democratic politicians tell you to vote and what they mean is just vote in November, but it's like, no, vote and then make sure vote those smarmy assholes who tell you just to vote, vote them out too. Um, I think is the thing that, that I've been thinking about a lot. Right, absolutely. And all very good points. Uh, thank you guys, not only for being my being my friends, obviously Ralph, my bro. Um, appreciate y'all for we love joining you guys. me for this episode. Love you. Um, much oh, love and uh, you know we'll, yeah. we'll we'll talk to you guys soon and in the meantime uh, try and take a listen to, to what we said and uh, hope it if any little impact it does have um, hopefully mm-hmm. it leads you to do something and in the meantime we'll all try to do our best yep. um, to, and to be help well. out in the meantime and be well be safe out there and, yeah. uh, and, that, and that is all for now as the baby all is right. crying alright all right. thank you guys so much thank you